0: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group, void or prohibited by law. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet, what does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it, they're not gonna catch him. He's gonna go the distance, touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson, 92 yards. Anderson too much deflected. Into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Passed road. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately use. when he got the handoff. You know and <laughs> that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank
1: you from the TOJ digital studios this is play like a jet my name is scott mason you can follow me on twitter at play like a jet1 and it's wednesday which means it's time for midweek with manish manish Mehta, covering the new york jets for the new york daily news manish any truth to the rumor that in 2014 you feel you made a mistake by not going to the baltimore sun <laughs>
2: Uh, Are you asking me that because Chris Johnson, not the CEO of the Jets, but the former 2,000-yard running back uh, for the Titans who played for the Jets in 2014, tweeted something? Is that why you're asking me?
1: It might have something to do with it. This is what happens, by the way, when everybody's stuck inside and bored. Chris Johnson tweeting out, just thinking to myself... How did I pick going to the Jets over the Baltimore Ravens in 2014? What a bad decision. The Jets were terrible in 2014, and, of course, the Baltimore Ravens were 10-6 and six and went to the playoffs. So, yes, CJ2K, it was a bad decision. I hope... That Le'Veon Bell isn't tweeting something like that in a couple of years, but at this point it kind of feels like he might. I don't know what his place is going to be on the twenty twenty Jets, but there are some new players that are going to be infused here to try and help Levion Bell and the rest of this team do better in twenty twenty. You got the opportunity to talk to some of those guys and Joe Douglas during a conference call. What were some of the highlights?
2: Well, yeah, Joe Douglas uh Signed uh, an inordinate number of one-year uh, players to one-year contracts, as every Jet fan knows, and he preached, uh, you know, financial responsibility. You know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, financial discipline. I think is a, is how he described it. Uh, you know, I asked him specifically uh, about uh, the Jets whether it was Douglas or his contract negotiators telling agents of prospective players that they the the Jets were cash-strapped, that uh, they didn't have the cash on hand to, to dole out the big signing bonuses, uh, big money deals. Because as you know, Scott, when you sign a, a player to a, a monster deal and you have to fork over a big signing bonus, uh, you have to do that uh, almost immediately. And look, the Jets had some roster bonuses that were due within five days of signing the contract. Uh, But you have to give that money up front as an owner, put that money in escrow, and uh, there's no two ways about it. So even though there are parameters uh, that the league has in place uh, for ceilings and floors in in terms of cap, uh, the the, the cash story is different for every team. So it's naive to say, well, I don't quite understand how a a team could be uh, cash-strapped if uh, the league says you have to you know spend X amount of dollars or use X percentage of the cap every year because there's nuance in terms of how liquid you are as an organization now the Jets are valued at 3.2 billion dollars at least that's the latest valuation from Forbes Uh, you know there is a difference between what your net worth is as everybody knows what your net worth is and how much uh, liquidity you actually have so I can't speak to how much liquidity, liquidity the Johnsons have. I don't know how much cash they have on hand. I don't know how much they were willing to fork over in real dollars right now uh, to put in escrow uh, for free agents. You know, I can't speak to that. All I can say is that the Jets were telling agents that uh, you know there, there might be a cash flow restriction. Uh, whether that's true or not is, is another story. I don't think it's particularly flattering either way, because if the Jets are indeed cash-strapped, uh, that speaks to perhaps a lack of commitment uh, to winning. Uh, if the Jets aren't actually cash-strapped, but they were telling agents that there was a cash-, cash flow restriction, that's being disingenuous during your negotiations. So I don't think that you know bodes well for the organization as well. That's not a good look either. So whatever the truth is, Uh, You know, it's one of those two scenarios and neither one of them makes the Jets look good. Uh, But Joe Douglas said that, look, you know, he's going to preach financial discipline and that does, you know, give him flexibility moving forward. That's absolutely true. Uh, The Jets, in theory, could have a mountain of salary cap space in 2021. Uh, The question becomes, will Jets ownership be willing to spend the cash next year? Uh, was this a part of their plan all along? Because did, they did dole out, as you know, you know big money deals for C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell, big cash up front for those two guys a year ago. Perhaps they didn't want to do that this year, uh, and perhaps they will do that next year. I, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is that the Jets have missed the playoffs for nine consecutive years, and this, you know, this year, if there is going to be a season, should not be treated as any kind of throwaway season. Uh, you know, I think the fans frankly deserve more and if you're an organization that that's going to charge the fans to to watch games and to to park at MetLife Stadium as I, I'm pretty sure the Jets are then I think uh, you know you owe it to your fans uh, to make a good faith effort to do uh, what's best and what what you can do realistically to make this a competitive team that has a realistic chance of making the playoffs in 2020.
1: Manish, one of the things that would have, I suppose, helped the Jets try to make the playoffs in 2020, but I'm not sure it would have been the right move, would have been to pay Jadavian Clowney. Joe Douglas talked about checking in. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of interest there as far as meeting his price. I've been very clear in my assessment of Jadavian Clowney, and I think both the film and the analytics back this up. Jadavian Clowney is an elite run defender. He's really nothing more than about an average pass rusher, and he's really bad in coverage, which nobody really cares about. But the point is, you're looking for somebody who's an ace pass rusher from the edge to complement what you've got on the inside with Quinn and Williams and Nathan Shepard. And I don't really think... That Jadavian Clowney moves the needle He's a big name And he's been to the Pro Bowl Mostly because of what an elite run defender he is But I think that a lot of the fan base Overrates what he would mean to this team If the Jets were to shell out Now I think if they were going to pay a pass rusher It should have been Dante Fowler but I understand why they didn't do it. As far as Jadavian Clowney goes, I just don't think it would have been the right move because you don't pay that kind of money to a player whose skill set you don't really need because they have an excellent run defense right now. They need somebody who can consistently get to the quarterback, and Jadavian Clowney's not that guy. We've seen flashes, and there have been games where he was straight-up dominant rushing the passer that game against the 49ers on national television is an example but for the most part he's been very inconsistent and he was next to J.J. Watt for three full seasons he was there for five Watt was hurt a lot but three full seasons when J.J. Watt was getting double and triple teamed and still Jadavian Clowney was nowhere near a top flight edge rusher so I don't think that Anything is going to bring that out of him in terms of consistency. I know a lot of people talk about Greg Williams and that they would love to see Clowney and Greg Williams' system. Sure, but again, if he couldn't do it in Houston, surrounded by all those players, including J.J. Watt, it's not a bet I would take at the price that he's looking for. Is my assessment of how far this got pretty much on target, that the Jets called his agent, asked about him a little bit, and that was the end of it? Because it doesn't seem like Joe Douglas was really that in on trying to get Clowney here.
2: Uh, I think that you know the, the Jets, uh, for, for all quality players in free agency uh, at positions that they need, uh, you know the Jets inquire, as they should. I, I don't believe that the Jets have any interest in paying Jadavian Clowney $16, $17 million a year. And I can't tell you what Jadavian Clowney is ultimately going to get. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I would tend to think that he would get less than that. Uh, I like Jadavian Clowney. I understand what you're saying. I also agree that he's a he's a versatile player. You know, obviously take the the pass coverage element out of it, but he's versatile in terms of getting to the quarterback. Perhaps not at an elite level, but still at a quality level. You uh, last year he took a dip in terms of getting to the quarterback, uh, hitting the quarterback. The prior two years, he had over 20 quarterback hits, which isn't sacks. I I get it. You know, getting home has special value. But uh, a guy who had over nine sacks in the previous two years, his last two years in Houston, and, uh, you know, statistically uh, didn't take a a step forward in Seattle necessarily, but I think he was dealing with an injury over the last six or so weeks. Uh, That being said, I thought he played particularly well in a playoff game against the Eagles. But uh, yeah, he doesn't have a track record of being a double-digit sack guy. He can disrupt the quarterback, but he adds value because he is good against the run. So I think he actually would be a good piece for the Jets. I think he's a guy that the Jets should have made uh, a more earnest effort, uh, you know, to get. That being said, I don't believe that the Jets should pay, you know, $16, $17, dollars. So perhaps, you know, uh, Clowney just wasn't interested. It, it, it seems to be the case because if he were interested in. Uh, signing uh, a contract for a lot less money he would have done it by now but he's still on the open market and we'll see what he ultimately commands but he's just a good player like a, and when I look at free agency I, I see a lot of guys who fans think are good players but aren't necessarily good players whereas I do think that Clowney is a guy who can be a, a significant contributor for you you know maybe not be a you know a 12 a, a sack guy 15 sack guy but someone who will improve your defense. And, you know, the Jets can use as many improvements as they can. Will, we'll find out what happens. I'm very curious to see what happens as uh, the season draws closer, if you know, whenever training camp actually does happen, whether Jadavion Clowney will, will be on a team by then. Because, you know, I've thought now for the last several weeks that he would ultimately go back to Seattle, but it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, you know, I don't know what would happen between now and the draft to make me think that he'd sign a deal, but I don't know, maybe he gets a a fresh perspective on what his true market value actually is. But, uh, you know, it would take a lot, I think for the jets to ultimately end up with him. I, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening. Stranger things obviously have happened uh, in the past in free agency, but uh, unless he's willing to take, you know, I don't know, 50 cents on the dollar somewhere in that neighborhood. uh, Yeah. I have a hard time envisioning him ultimately being on the jets.
1: I just think there's a major disconnect between what he actually brings to the table and what a lot of people seem to think that he's worth because I think that he's somebody that's really more of a 12 million dollar a year player because as I said elite run defender but really has been about an average pass rusher and forget about sacks I'm talking about pass rush efficiency I'm talking about overall pressures these are areas where he's been close to middle of the pack Michael Nania had the numbers and he's been about 48th percentile which is really nothing special especially for a guy that's supposed to be an elite player like Jadavian Clowney I think what you're doing here is you're making a bet that he can live up to the potential that everybody's been hoping that he would bring out since getting picked as the number one overall pick by Houston and ever since all the hype surrounded him when he was at South Carolina, that's not a bet that I'd be willing to make. I'm not saying that it's not impossible that he becomes that guy, but five years in and several of them playing next to J.J. Watt, where J.J. Watt was getting double and triple team, that just seems like a bet that is a very faulty bet at best, could work out for you, but the odds wouldn't be in your favor. And the Jets wouldn't have to worry about trying to pay somebody like Jadavian and Clowney Manish if they would just draft better. Because as we know, over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of really bad drafting, whether it was Mike Tannenbaum after Mangini was gone, whether it was John Idzik for the two years that he was here, whether it was Mike McCagnon. Just really bad drafting, and so that's why the roster is in the shape that it's in right now. Cornerback is a huge question. It has been pretty much every year. They thought they had eliminated that question by signing Darrell Revis. They didn't. You take a look at edge rusher. Haven't really had a top flight edge rusher since John Abraham. We keep saying that, but it keeps being true. You take a look at quarterback. You hope Sam Donald's the guy. But before that, they'd had a lot of trouble at that position. Look at the offensive line. It's been in shambles ever since the old guard started to filter out. Ever since Brandon Moore was gone and Nick Mangle retired, and DeBrickishaw Shaw-Ferguson, the cracks started to come into focus, and now the entire dam has blown up. And Joe Douglas is trying to fix that, but... There's only so much anybody can do in one offseason, in free agency especially. And we've talked about how his approach, Manish, is a little bit dangerous because maybe he needed to get some quality pieces in free agency just to help Sam Darnold, extenuating circumstances, whereas you wouldn't necessarily want to exceed a price for a guy like Robbie Anderson in a general sense with Sam Darnold being here Going into his third year, you want to make sure that you put as many good pieces around him as possible to help him take that leap, and you don't necessarily want to wager on just the draft, but Joe Douglas has chosen to wager it all on the draft. I said that I think that that's generally a good way to build a team, although I would have paid Graham Glasgow, Robbie Anderson, and maybe Jason Peters, and that way you go into the draft with a little less pressure, but there's a lot of pressure on Joe Douglas in this draft and next year's draft when that comes as well. And He's got a system though So he believes in this system It's a system that he learned When he was with the Baltimore Ravens And you wrote extensively about this system In the New York Daily News So I want you to talk a little bit about it There's a whole bunch of layers To this system in terms of how they rank Prospects, how they evaluate How they build their board Talk to me about the Joe Douglas system And what Jets fans can expect As this draft comes about In a couple of weeks
2: Well Look, I think Joe knew when he got hired uh, after the draft that he would have an opportunity uh, that few general managers have because typically they're hired after the season. So they they're hired in January and then they have to get right in the draft prep mode, uh, free agency mode. Whereas whereas Joe Douglas had an opportunity to convey, you know, the principles that that he learned uh, for the most part in Baltimore, you know, he spent a year in Chicago and he spent the last several years in Philly, but for the most part, uh, the core beliefs that, uh, have been his compass for the past two decades were born in Baltimore. Uh, he learned from Ozzie Newsom. He learned from the Ravens, but, uh, Ozzie Newsom learned from the old Cleveland Browns model. So essentially Joe Douglas's, you know, Draft grading scale is adopted from that old Cleveland Browns model. And from a JET perspective, it's essentially telling your personnel people, hey, we're going to look at the same prospects. These are the same people for the most part, because there's about 20 people uh, who have a hand in watching uh, college prospects in the JET organization, Uh, 20 personnel slash scouts. 16 of those 20 were the same people that were there when Mike McKagnon was the general manager, and there's some that were there before McKagnon was even there. So for the most part, you're, you have the same core group of people who are dissecting and analyzing players. So Joe Douglas's charge is to now, once you get the job, ask those same people to look at the same prospects but look at them in a different way. Uh, so Mike McKagnon's model, his draft system – it did change year to year. There were there were some alterations made every year, I believe. Uh, but generally speaking, it was a draft based or round, I should say, a round based model. So when you look at a prospect and you analyze them, uh, and we can get into specifics in a bit, but for the most part, you know, you draw a conclusion: is this guy a first round talent, a second round talent, a third round talent? Uh, and there are other teams. This wasn't speci- This wasn't. Uh, exclusive to the Jets. There are other teams in the league that have a draft-based model. Uh, there's a problem in that inherently because, for example, if you're an area scout and you're looking at uh, the Big Ten, for example, and you're studying a wide receiver in the Big Ten, uh, it's very difficult, almost impossible uh, as, as an area scout, to compare the player you're watching uh, week in and week out versus a player from uh the SEC, for example. So, how do you know that this particular wide receiver in this example is a second-round town or a third-round town talent? You know, it just it, it's inherently flawed. Whereas the Cleveland Browns model, the model that Joe Douglas bases his system on, is more about understanding what your specific coaches want. What are they looking for? And then once you get that information, you can tailor your grading scale to what matters for your offense and for your defense. Uh, that doesn't mean, and this is an important point, that doesn't mean that Joe Douglas is going to listen to everything that Adam Gase and Greg Williams say and give them the players that they want. It's, it's more something along these lines. Adam Gase will say, you know, I'm looking for a wide receiver uh, specifically who is good at these two things you know, A and B, whatever they may be. And, and Adam Gase could have a preference, you know, when he jumps in uh, during this, in, in this process after the season is over. He could say, I like this particular wide receiver. That doesn't mean that Joe Douglas is going to give Adam Gase that wide receiver or Greg Williams, if he has an affinity for a particular cornerback because he thinks his cornerback, uh, you know, fits perfectly into what he is looking for uh, because Joe Douglas has a lot of conviction in his own uh, ability to evaluate, and he has a lot of conviction in the people around him in the personnel step. So if Adam Gay says, look, I'm looking for a wide receiver that has trait A and trait B, uh, and I really like this particular guy, uh, Joe Douglas could say, hey, look, I, okay, I'm going to give you a player that fits what you say you want. It's not the guy that you like. You know, It's not the number one guy that you, that you want but it's the guy that I think makes the most sense given the description of the player that you just gave me, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, Joe Douglas retains the authority because he does have contractual control of the 53-man roster. He's also not going to hand over players to Joe Douglas and Greg Williams that these guys don't want, but he's not just going to say, okay, give me the guys that you want and I'm just going to pick the guys that you want. He's going to pay particular attention to the traits that matter for, Joe Doug, for Adam Gase and for Greg Williams and then find the players that he believes fit those traits the best. And, and that's what he's asked his scouts to do. That's what he's asked his personnel people to do. So it's very specific uh, to the role uh, that your team, uh, it's specific to the, to, role, to the role that you're looking for. It's a role-specific type of an evaluation system uh, that I think it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of teams around the league that uh, operate in this way Uh, it's not the way that the Jets operated under McKagan. I thought that that was one of the flawed uh, aspects of McKagan's draft. I'm not saying that's the reason why the drafts weren't particularly good, but that's just a clear difference philosophically, you know, from what Joe Douglas wants. Uh, And we can go through the different scales, the specific scales, but uh, you know, when when you look at the draft board and not, neither one of us Scott is going to actually see the final draft board, uh, Joe Douglas's board will be much more streamlined than it was with McGagnon. Under McCagnon there were anywhere from 300 to 350 players depending on the year on the dra- on the draft board which was, you know, almost you know, under lock and key on McGagnon's laptop, but uh, essentially that that was the number of players on the board, 3 to 350, whereas this year with the Jets and Joe Douglas you're going to have somewhere around 150. And that's what you see around the league, teams that have uh, a keen understanding of the players that they want have smaller draft boards. They know what specific players they're targeting, and that's why their boards are considerably smaller than other teams. So, you know, philosophically, that is the, the key difference between Mike McCagnon's uh, draft system and Joe Douglas's draft system.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. A woo hoo a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play like
1: a jet. A lot of what this boils down to is identity. Because, as my friend Chris Walker likes to point out, when Rex Ryan was here, for better or worse, and oftentimes it was for worse, unfortunately, you knew what a Rex Ryan player was. You knew what he was looking for. You never knew what a Todd Bowles player was or a Mike McCagnin player was. And this kind of speaks to that. You had no idea what it was they were actually looking for, and it seemed like they were disorganized and didn't have any real strategy. With Douglas, at least you know, okay, we can figure out pretty quickly what's a Joe Douglas guy. I don't know if we're going to be able to figure out what an Adam Gase guy is since he seems to change his mind on what that is every 10 minutes, but you get the idea. You know what a Patriots player is You know what a Baltimore Ravens player is You know what a Pittsburgh Steelers player is And I think the hope is That eventually it becomes Oh, this guy is a Jets type of player Or he's the kind of guy that Joe Douglas would draft So let's talk about How that's going to work in reality You said there's a tier system For how this works out The different levels And how they evaluate and grade these prospects And the different ones that actually make it onto their board Can you break down the specifics Specifics of that
2: Yes the, it's, so it's essentially a five-tiered system uh, the top tier is a day one starter uh, the second tier is a starter uh, with limitations and the, some of those limitations could be correctable improved uh, some might not be uh, be able to be improved but the hope is that they, they are correctable. Uh, the third tier is essentially you know a sub package starter or a spot starter you know a role player you know somebody who can make some kind of significant, a contribution in in some of your packages uh, the fourth tier is essentially your bottom of the roster guy a guy who can be on your practice squad and then that final tier the lowest tier is essentially a training camp body you know guy you bring in as a as a preseason roster filler uh, it, it's an eight-point system uh, uh, but there's a caveat to that because you know, I spoke to people uh, you know who are in this system and None of the people that I spoke to recalled uh, a guy who ultimately got an 8.0 grade. Uh, you know, you could have uh, you know, various scouts grade out a player at 8.0, but when it's all said and done, the final grade never turned out to be an 8.0. Uh, it's almost like a perfect player, probably like a first ballot Hall of Famer, I would uh, guess. And, and perhaps there have been players who have ultimately gotten 8.0. I just uh, wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't able to find anybody. The, the people I talked to didn't didn't uh, recall any 8.0 player so 7.0 is essentially the gold star in this scale Uh, and look most first round picks are 6.7s I can't tell you why it turned out to be a 6.7 but a 6.7 essentially is your you know your first rounder a guy who's going to be a day one starter uh, a guy who is flawed or a guy who can still grow and develop but these other you know these These values, the 6.7 and the 6.5, 6.3, 6.1, they're weighted. So it's essentially what the scout or the personnel evaluator believes the player is going to be in a couple years. So as I said before, the second tier is a starting caliber player who's got some limitations that might be correctable. Well, correctable could be some technique issues or things that – It can be improved upon, as you would hope. You would hope that your players evolve coming out of college and aren't static. So a day one prospect essentially is a 6.7. You know, some uh, talent evaluators and GMs uh, just refer to a 6.7 as a 67. So when I say 67, that means 6.7. So there's, you know, there's 65, 63, 61s. Uh, You know, those are all premium players. Uh, You know, I've had it described two different ways to me. Uh, A premium player is a player that you can take in the first three rounds, uh, or a premium player is a top 100 player. So, you know, by and large, it's the same thing, right? So a premium round is round one, two, or three. A premium player is somebody who's taken in the top 100. And typically guys who are in the top 100, they earn scores of 61, 63, or 65. Uh, You know, in this draft scale, a 58 or above is considered draftable, Uh, If you grade out a player anywhere under a 58 or a 5.8, that's a guy who's probably just going to wind up, best-case scenario, on your practice squad or just be around for training camp before you ultimately cut them. So when you're looking at this scale, you're essentially talking about players who are graded between 5.8 and 7.0. Those are the guys you're going to draft, a 58 to a 70. Uh, But it's not just a numerical value. Uh, There's a lot of other – what's the best way to put it – uh, in the system, they call them alerts, they call them types, uh, you know, which are intangible sometimes. So, for example, an M-alert or an M-type that you attach to a prospect is a mental alert. If a team has a particular concern about whether the player is able to grasp nuances of their scheme. Uh, basically, in layman's terms, it's, uh, the M-alert is, is this guy smart enough to understand what we're teaching him? And if there's questions about that, you put an M alert on a player. So you could put, you know, you could have a guy graded out as a 6.1 M for example. And so you're talking about essentially a, a premium round player, uh, probably closer to hundred than one, but a premium round player who might not be able to understand you know, some of the concepts that you're teaching him. So that's something that you have to factor in when you're deciding whether to draft that player. If a guy Uh, add special teams value, you put a T alert on them. So that's, you know, it's kind of pretty obvious T for teams. Uh, There's a Z alert, for example, if a guy can do everything that you're asking him to do, but he is quote unquote undersized at a particular position. So if you're a 6.7 Z, you're a guy that the team believes can be a starter from day one, but he is Undersized. If he's an inside linebacker, you know, maybe he doesn't fit the parameters. Uh, if he's an edge rusher, maybe he doesn't fit the parameters that you that you typically want. But he can still be an effective player. Uh, so those are just you know additions that you put onto the n- numerical value. Uh, what I thought was interesting talking to some of these guys, uh, you know, who have either worked with uh, Joe Douglas, worked for Joe Douglas, or work in the same system that Joe Douglas is operating under is that character does play a weighted role uh, in this, Uh, but it's a nebulous term. So, you know, character matters uh, for Joe Douglas, but he's not only going to draft guys who are completely clean. And I think if you look at the Ravens' track record of while the time that he was there, there were some guys that uh, had some, you know, quote-unquote questionable character, but the value became too much because the talent was so high. That ultimately the Ravens took him, so it's not as if you should expect the Jets to draft only choir boys. You know that that's that's not reality, but the, there is a C alert, a character alert that will be attached to a particular player. You know if there's been some, you know, some issues in the past. So that's just something to keep in mind. I thought it was interesting only because I couldn't find anybody, uh, you know, who's been in this system and been with Douglas to say. Uh, exactly how much weight character uh, is given. Uh, all they would say is that it matters a lot, but uh, you can always make exceptions to the rule if a guy is such a good player and he falls to you know the, the second or the third round when you thought he was a first round talent. So that's just something to consider. Uh, I, yeah, I I think it's I, I think it's fascinating because you know those are the specifics. Now there's some general parts of this scheme that. Uh, Overlap with McCagnan and overlap, frankly, with just about every team. Uh, Their core traits in in the Joe Douglas scheme. They were called different things uh, in different schemes, but those are just size, speed, balance, elements to every prospect. Uh, The Jets now, under Douglas, give each of those uh, what they call core traits. uh, You know, a a letter grade A through F Uh, for McCagnan, depending on the year. Uh, there was a pass-fail system, a checks or a minus system, uh, or uh, a numerical system on a 10-point scale. That that also kind of changed from year to year with McKagan, whereas Douglas, you know, the, the scouts essentially give straight-letter grades, A through F, for, for these core traits. Now, uh, the wrinkle for this particular system is that there are things that Douglas calls critical factors which vary by position. Those critical factors vary year to year, also, because those critical factors are created with discussions with the coaches, uh, and every coach will get their say. Uh, you know, different position coaches are valued differently, uh, depending on whether you know that position coach is a good evaluator, and you only find that out, frankly, uh, over time. So Joe Douglas is dealing with a whole new set of coaches. But he's probably getting a good grasp now, which position coaches, uh, you know, understand what's going on, and which guys perhaps need a little bit more polishing. Uh, but when you're talking specifically about the head coach, Adam Gase, in this particular example, of course, and Greg Williams, you know, their opinions matter when you collect what the critical factors are for a particular position. So, you know, for obviously for an offensive tackle, pass protection matters for cornerbacks zone man coverage, the value obviously depends on what value Greg Williams places on his defense. So, you know, this core, core, uh, I'm sorry, those critical factors are comprised uh, in collaboration with your coaches. And that's why collaboration matters. And Joe Douglas has said this publicly. He is inclusive. Uh, But an important point to all of this is that no matter how, inclusive Joe Douglas is and no matter how collaborative he is in this process, uh, the coaches' opinions and valuations won't significantly alter their grade because Joe Douglas, again, has a strong belief in his own uh, scouting and he has a strong belief typically in the people around him. Now, these are new people, obviously, that he's working with, but he is going to value their opinions and his opinions over the coaches he's not going to discount the coaches uh, but there is a sliding scale involved in terms of what value, or what opinions matter most uh, I think the the most important part of all of this you know we went into a lot of details here but the most important part of all of this is that Joe Douglas isn't a my way or the highway kind of guy I don't believe based on the conversations that I had with people that he's someone who's going to just dismiss your opinion if it's different than his because if you can back up your opinion with solid, smart evidence, he might go back and look at the tape and, and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you made a, a compelling case. Uh, maybe I was wrong uh, about uh, you know, this particular element of a player. Uh, maybe I will adjust. So he is open-minded in that respect, and I think that matters a lot when you're trying to you know, bring out the best evaluations of these prospects. You, you can't be rigid I don't believe that Joe Douglas is rigid. Now what I will say about Joe without actually being in the room with him during these discussions is that I think Jet fans know that he's kind of a man of few words. Uh, He's not necessarily a guy who's looking for attention. He's not a loud guy by any respect. But uh, once you get him talking about players, I think uh, there's a different side to him that not many people see. You know, I certainly haven't seen it to this point, but just based on, you know, Coworkers of his I think when you when he gets engaged in conversations about players. He's a lot different than you know What we see publicly, Uh, but just this open forum uh, Allowing people to voice their opinions and and Having a strong opinion because strong opinions will matter if you're hemming and hawing about a prospect He's probably not going to take what you're saying very seriously But if you have conviction and you have smart evidence to back up that conviction that could move the needle for him and I think that, frankly, that's a great way of leading. I don't know how that's going to manifest itself in this draft and in the years moving forward. But if you're a Jet fan, it's definitely encouraging to hear that your general manager you know, uh, attacks a problem in that fashion because I think that's, frankly, uh, a winning way to attack a problem.
1: Manish, in that vein, as far as a winning way to attack a problem, I think that's really what the Patriots do. Because my understanding is when they're evaluating prospects, they have best available, but they have best available for them. So in other words they'll have their board set up where they have players that they think are a specific fit for what they want to do. So even if, say, two cornerbacks are on the board and they think one guy is more talented than the other, they may go with the guy that's not, quote, as good of a football player or as talented overall in favor of the guy that is a better fit for them because that's the way they build their team. And so they're not trying to fit square pegs into round holes. They may say that a guy is, say, the number one cornerback in terms of talent, but the guy that they have ranked higher than him on their specific board is number one in terms of what he can bring to their defense. And I think that's probably what Joe Douglas is looking to do. And it's worth remembering because... Yesterday on the show, Joe Blewett broke down Andrew Thomas's film, and I'm just going to use Andrew Thomas as an example. Andrew Thomas is a player who's a really Steady solid offensive tackle But I don't know that He's ever going to be more than Average to slightly above average as a Pass blocker he's going to be an excellent Run blocker and a solid Pass blocker but is he ever going to be more than That I'm not so sure and So if Joe Douglas is looking at this Through the lens of what we're talking about Where as I just said with the Patriots it's not necessarily The best player it's the best player For what you want for your team. Now you may look at what you talked about last week on the show, Manish, with your mock draft in Josh Jones, because we know that Josh Jones is actually an excellent pass protector. He just has a ton of work to do when it comes to the run game. So maybe Joe Douglas looks at this and says, Andrew Thomas, Better prospect overall in terms of polish maybe he's going to be a really good player but in terms of what we're looking for in terms of our board in terms of our needs in terms of our system Josh Jones is a player that fits better for us so we would prefer Josh Jones over Andrew Thomas that more or less seems to be the approach that they're going to be taking in a lot of ways and I'm just using Jones and Thomas as an example but that's more or less the way this system is set up right?
2: Exactly. It's really understanding what players make the most sense for your team. And that sounds simplified because, you know, somebody could hear that and say, well, obviously, right? I mean, you're not going to take players that don't make sense for your team. But you have to understand specifically what players make sense for your schemes on offense and defense. And, and you'd be surprised how many teams don't have a firm handle of that. They'll just say, well, I like this prospect better in a vacuum he's more talented, so let's take him. And then maybe it's not necessarily the proper fit for your system. But, I, I, you know, a point that can't be underscored enough is that Joe Douglas has to have a firm belief in the people around him, in the head coach, in the defensive coordinator in this particular case. Because if there's you know any doubt that these guys are not going to be around for the long haul, then you might be asking yourself, as a general manager, well, if we're going to change systems in another year or so, you know, how how sure can I be that the player that we're drafting here is going to be the best player for us over the next four or five years? It might be the best player for 2020, but uh, if we're going to have to overhaul stuff after this season, uh, what do I do? So uh, you know, it's a precarious position, frankly, for for any general manager, specifically a general manager who came aboard after the head coach was already hired. And I know that there had been a prior relationship between Joe Douglas and Adam Gase, but, uh, it's not like they were best friends. So, you know, any storyline or suggestion to that fact is not necessarily accurate. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a difficult road for, for Joe Douglas to, to go on this year. But I think, you know, you have to, if you're a general manager, you have to go in believing, that what you have right now is going to work, that the people around you, uh, the coaches specifically, are going to work. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say definitively whether it's going to work or not, uh, but he, as the general manager, has to believe that, uh, and then he has to, frankly, give his coaches the best opportunity to succeed. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing his job properly. He'd be doing a disservice, frankly, to to both Adam Gase and Greg Williams. So he's got to believe that this is going to work and he's got to trust Adam Gase. He's got to trust Greg Williams, uh, that they know what they're looking for in players. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast, Scott, about, uh, you know, just make, making a joke about, <laughs> about, uh, you know, what kind of player fits Adam Gase? What's an Adam Gase player. You know, I don't know what an Adam Gase player is. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure Adam Gase fully understands what an Adam Gase player is, but, uh, But Joe Douglas really has to just listen to what Gase is telling him now. I mean, what else can he do? He can't predict changes in how the coach feels about prospects. I mean, that's an impossible task. Nobody can do that. So, uh, you know, if you're trying to build more of an offensive foundation for Sam Darnold, you really do have to listen to what Gase and, and his offensive coaches are telling you in terms of what they're looking for. Uh, from a trait perspective in these players, and then you as the GM have to uh, give those guys the players that fit those traits. Uh, And again, just going back to what I said earlier, not necessarily the specific player that a coach may like, but a player uh, that fits the mold of what the coach is saying they need. And that is, uh, you know, that's not the easiest thing to do, but that's what Joe Douglas has, you know, made his, his football career on he's been a scout uh, an area scout a national scout a player personnel guy he's checked off all the different boxes uh, that he needed to check off before ultimately being in charge so he has a strong conviction in uh, what makes sense in this particular system he can look at players he can look at the particular offense that he is working with and he has an innate ability based on people who have been around him through the years. He has an innate ability to properly place players into the system based on uh, the particular scheme that he's with. And and that will be invaluable. It will absolutely be invaluable for the Jets in in 2020 because, as you said, look, he's putting his eggs in this draft basket because of all the different things that we discussed in free agency He's taken a lot of flyers, given a lot of guys' one-year contracts, hoping that some of them stick. And if some of them do stick, he will extend them. And, you know, if you just look at the at the Eagles model, and there's some overlap with him, and there's some that's, that, that doesn't overlap with him, but if you look at what Howie Roseman has done in Philly, is that he will try to extend players early uh, if possible. And that includes players whose contracts are running up are running out so uh, I wouldn't rule out guys being signed to extensions in uh, late 2020 at late in the season uh, you know if the season does in fact start on time and let's say it does in fact start in September I wouldn't rule out the the Jets extending some of these one-year guys some of these guys they gave a one-year deal to in December you know making offers and getting some of these guys locked up before free agency begins in fact, I hope I think that Joe Douglas would hope that he can do that because that means that some, some of the guys that he signed were actually producing for the Jets and are the right fit for Gase and for Greg Williams. Uh, so that that kind of falls under the flexibility category that Joe Douglas has been talking about. You, you know, you can, in theory, sign these guys to extensions while the season is still going on. So that's another pathway, another avenue. But uh, but as you said, a bulk of this. Rebuild will come through the Draft and it starts you know, In a couple weeks and We're going to get a good sense over the next several Years whether these players hit of course you know, it's not going to be Instantaneous but uh, but I can tell you just based on People who, who know Joe Douglas a lot better than, than I Know him because I don't know him very well But those people uh, Have told me that he has a really Good knack of understanding The system that he's currently in And looking at players and properly placing them in his in his draft grading scale and i'm not sure you can say that about mike mccagnon uh you know i i don't want to pour dirt on mccagnon because i think that's unfair uh and i think you you know you you talked about some of the, the the draft picks that he made throughout his you know tenure so they kind of speak for themselves but what i what i what i can kind of tell right now is that Joe Douglas has a firmer handle on what he wants uh, than uh, the person who was in charge uh, before he got here.
1: A whole new world for the Jets in terms of how they're going to be drafting in a whole new world for the NFL in terms of how everybody's going to be drafting this year, Manish. We know that it's going to be a very very different process and in fact, Adam Schefter this morning talking about how some teams are worried about how other teams could try and hack their Zoom rooms, insert Patriot jokes here, but I think that what we have to consider is that this is a completely different type of draft than anything we're used to. Even back in the old days, they were all together in the hotel room in New York City. This is more or less a virtual draft, kind of like a fantasy football draft that you and your friends would do, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, that, those are <laughs> all the parallels that are being made now that uh, the league has come out and said that teams will not be allowed back in their, their facilities and they won't be allowed to be in groups uh, at, you know, the head coach's house or the general manager's house. So these guys will be operating solo, uh, you know, in their in their home offices. And, you know, they'll obviously be communicating via phone and, and video conference, but uh, in terms of, People uh, right in front of your face, uh, literally sitting next to you. It's going to be Joe Douglas, maybe maybe his kids, maybe his dog. I, I, I don't know. Uh, what I thought was interesting is that you know there have been general managers uh, who have asked for amendments, who have suggested amendments, and and uh, earlier in the day, uh, you know, actually a few days ago, but earlier in the day that I, you know, I reported that the Steelers' general manager Kevin Colbert proposed an idea where the draft gets expanded from seven rounds to ten rounds. So you get three additional picks per team just to increase your margin of error uh, because of some of these pre-draft restrictions, you know, limited pro days, no in-person visits in the facility, no workouts uh, privately with decision makers. The Steelers are actually one of the teams that, that get a lot of value out of uh, what happens in the off-season with the private workouts and the pro days You see Mike Tomlin go to a lot of these different uh, events to get an up-close and personal look at these prospects. So, uh, you know, I understand the methodology and the thinking behind wanting to expand the draft uh, just so you can, you know, hopefully hit on more picks. You know, if you get more chances, you're going to probably hit on more picks. Uh, I think what's interesting is that just based on discussions that I've had with Decision makers on other teams throughout uh, throughout the league is that this process, you know, this limited pre-draft process really does hurt the the late round picks, the the guys who are going to be drafted in day three, and the guys who are not going to be drafted, because you're probably not going to get an opportunity uh, other than posting videos of yourself to show teams what you're really about in private workouts in person, private workouts, and, and that really does make the post-draft scene a lot different. I think that what we've seen in the past. Now, typically, what happens is there's a scramble. Really, while I mean to be honest with you, while round seven is still going on, there are teams calling guys that they know they're not going to draft, lining them up for undrafted free agent offers, and saying, "Hey, look, we want you." So once when the draft is over, we'll pay uh, we'll pay your guy. You know, they'll call the agents, of course, not the exact player, but they'll they'll. Call agents of guys who aren't going to be drafted and say, "Hey, we'll we'll give your guy ten thousand dollars to sign with us." But we got to know now because if if uh, if you don't commit to us right now, we're going to use that money for another undrafted guy. Uh, it just makes it that much more difficult in this landscape because you're you're probably taking more dart throws than you typically would on undrafted guys. So you might sign guys and then quickly find out whenever training camp opens up or whenever you can get your hands on these guys in your facility, you might find out quickly that these guys aren't a right fit for you. And then you're going to cut them and then look for the next undrafted guy. So that that really does put a monkey wrench into things, I think for the later round prospects and the prospects who aren't going to get drafted. So, you know, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world to be honest with you to expand the draft. I don't think it's going to happen. And this is a suggestion that Colbert made uh, weeks ago uh, and afterwards, uh, Roger Goodell came out and said that guys could be disciplined if they speak out about uh, a delayed draft or you know, any uh, differences in the current setup. So it was, it was just one suggestion by one general manager, but I thought it was an interesting one because uh, you know, I don't know how fans feel about it, but uh, I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world to, you know, to give teams additional picks.
1: I'll tell you one guy who would, I think, like that. That's Joe Douglas. He wants as many picks as he can get as he continues to try and rebuild this team using the new draft model that you outlined earlier. Manish Mehta, covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on, as always. Really appreciate it. I'm also glad that, much like Joe Douglas, you are tipping huge to people delivering food to your house. Joe Douglas, $100 for everybody delivering food to his house while he's getting takeout during this whole pandemic. I heard that you're actually tipping 200 just so you could be twice as good as Joe Douglas right now. What do you have cooking at the Daily News? I know this piece was a big one and you worked on it for a long time. And obviously anybody who hasn't read it yet, you should go and read the details in addition to listening to it here on the podcast. But what do you got cooking at the Daily News?
2: Well, let me first say that I've never had a, left a 99% tip, which is what Joe Douglas did. <laughs> and, and look, Full disclosure here: This is not something that the Jets or Joe Douglas promoted. I think if Douglas had his druthers, he you know would have wished that it did not come to light. But the restaurant owner's girlfriend posted this on Reddit, and then obviously everybody else picked up on it. Uh, you know, I think it says you know. Let's put aside Joe Douglas, the general manager. Joe Douglas, the football scout. Uh, put that aside for a moment. I think it says a lot about a person that uh, you know takes the the opportunity to do that for local businesses. And I know that some people will say, well, Joe Douglas is a multimillionaire. He makes a lot of money. So, you know, who cares, right? Look, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money in this world that don't uh, help out others, uh, especially in times like this uh, when local businesses are suffering, uh, local restaurants are suffering. I know that, you know, I I get takeout. I try to get takeout uh, twice a week. uh, And I've always prided myself on being a good tipper, but I've never tipped uh, 99%. And I hope that uh, that Joe Douglas uh, continues to do that. Uh, you know, obviously people do whatever they want with their money, and uh, again, this has nothing to do with what the man's net worth is. It has nothing to do with him uh, being uh, the Jets general manager. I just think, from a human perspective, it's a it's a terrific gesture. It's a you know an act of kindness that you would hope uh you know more people would do especially for businesses and i know that a, a lot of people have suggested getting gift cards uh, for businesses uh for, for restaurants that you're going to attend in the future anyway it helps them out now i think it makes a lot of sense and i know i'm going on a tangent here but i just thought that what he did was uh you know such a it was such a good thing to do you know it's a, it's a it's a quality thing to do uh and it's probably that much more impressive because you kind of know that he wishes that that never got out. And, uh, I just wish more people would do that. You don't have to tip obviously <laughs> that amount of money, but if you can do whatever you can to, uh, support local restaurants who are obviously, uh, you know, in, in a tough spot right now, uh, I, I, I would highly recommend that, uh, in terms of what's happening moving forward, uh, you know, try to delve into some of these draft prospects cause we're, Obviously shifting our focus now to the draft. Uh, You know, what makes sense for the Jets day one? What makes sense day two? Should they take a gamble? Should they move up? You know, that's a a storyline that not many people have talked about. Does it make sense for them to do that or to compile more picks by moving down? If, uh, if the board shakes out that way, but uh, you know, jet fans as most NFL fans are really looking forward to the draft. You know, I, I was of the belief that it probably made sense to delay the draft, but that's not going to happen. So, given that the draft is going to come up in, in another two plus weeks, uh, you know, I'll be delving into what makes most sense for Douglas, for Gase, for Williams, you know, really for the 2020 Jets.
1: In the 2007 draft, the Jets found a member of the all-decade team for 2010 to 2020, Darrell Revis. Let's hope they find another one in this upcoming draft. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter. Read his work in the daily news. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com. Step into
2: the world of power, loyalty,